Good morning, Awakening Church. Oh, come on. Good morning, Awakening Church. Morning. It is good to see you guys this morning. I hope you guys had an awesome Christmas. I'm glad that I'm here with you guys the day after Christmas. The last Sunday, oh, I'm going to move this here a little a lot, The last Sunday of a decade. Amazing, right? How many guys had a pretty good decade? How many of us had a great decade? Some of you guys here in this, in this, in this beautiful place here, some of this family here, uh, a decade ago, you were just starting your families. A decade ago, your grandkids were just born. A decade ago, I was 18, barely graduating high school. Feel old. <laughs> but welcome. I want to welcome you personally to the Awakening Church. Um, and I want you guys to feel welcome as well. My name is Joe Yarbrough, and I have the honor and privilege of leading the Awakening Student Ministry, high school through middle school. Where are my high school middle schoolers at? Tired. Tired. I also have the honor and privilege of helping uh, head up the worship department here. Can we give a round of applause to Jamie and Jennifer for leading the amazing worship today? It was so great. Christmas is over. Would you do me a favor just with me? Just breathe. We're here. It's New Year's now. I, I don't know about you guys. I had an interesting Christmas. It was the first Christmas I had with my newborn son. And it was, it was adorable. It was weird, though, because I already, I, you know, you get older and older, and you start to realize I'm growing up when you get less and less gifts, so your gifts become less and less cool. For me, it's actually going backwards now. My in-laws just bought me a bunch of toys. I collect action figures, so I had more kid gifts than my son did. He got clothes and socks, and I'm like, cool, a figure, put it on my wall, because an inbox collector is the way you have to go. So, amen. But it was awesome to spend it because... It almost brought me back to, man, Christmas is really a humbling experience. You, you know, my family and everyone was wrapping the gifts all nice for my son, and we tried to wrap gifts for our son, and they'd come to find out that the best gift that he got of all was the tissue paper. He really loves that stuff. He ate almost all of it. We were trying to fork it out of him. It just, it was a mess, but it was fun. Here at the Awakening Church, we had an amazing Christmas season we had a number of people who decided over our Christmas series to dedicate their life to the Lord and come to be a part of our forever family. Can we make some noise for those people in the house of God this morning? I'm always so excited to see that. And if you want some more information about that and you yourself are here as a guest or you're trying to just find answers on your Connect cards, go ahead and fill out in the back. There's a little box for that. And hold on to your Connect cards for any announcements, any information, or any prayers that you guys need to the end of service. And the ushers will... Uh, come around when the offering comes and drop it in there. But I'm super excited. So if you were a guest, I want to just kind of preference, don't worry, I am not the lead pastor. We're not that edgy of a church yet to have the tattoo guy calling the shots. Don't worry, you could breathe easy. I'm the fill-in, all righty? And uh, I'm really excited to be here for all the people here and the people listening online in front of 2,000 people. My grandma's listening online, so just give me some. Yeah, there we go. In front of 2,000 people, Leanie. She attends here. She knows I'm lying. <laughs> but I have a question for you guys. I have a question. How many people in here, by a show of hands, have ever trained or tried out or, or worked or studied for a test or for a team or, you know, even for a job interview and, or for, like, some kind of competition or, like, some kind of type of, you know, sporting event or something, and you trained and you achieved your goal? How many of you guys have ever done that? Awesome. Now, here's my follow-up. Where are my quitters at? 
that you tried something and you failed and you're like, I'm done with this. Make some noise quitters, dude. Where are my quitters at? I love it. I love it. That's my personal model. I am a quitter. I work with youth kids and constantly, constantly, they are just seeking instant gratification and affirmation. Not just the kids, some of my leaders too. That's okay. You know, we're all working to Jesus. But one of the things the kids love doing is whenever we have guys nights or we have a video game system, they immediately call out the youth guy to be like, play me in Call of Duty. I never play Call of Duty. Why do I not play Call of Duty? Not because of any spiritual like, you know, issues, not because I think the game's too violent, because I know I'm going to lose, and I'm not going to play something that I'm going to lose, so I'm just going to quit as it happens. I'm that guy that when you played me at Mario Party in 1999, that if I was losing, I'd accidentally hit the reset button and be like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened. And they'd be like, dude, you suck. I'm like, I beat you. No, you didn't. It restart. I'm a quitter. I know you've probably heard the saying, if at first you don't succeed, try something else. That's what I always say. Try something else. You just, something else. But what I'm talking about today is we're going to be continuing and closing out our series called Make Room. And on Sunday, Pastor Kerry did an amazing job of this series. And the series we've been talking about is we've been speaking that people are like rooms. Some people are like living rooms, like what he talked about last week, that some people are, the, are those people that get everyone to gather together. They're the life. They're the light. They're the glue. They get enough space so that everyone's comfortable enough to sit around and to enjoy each other's company. There's people who are like the kitchens, who are constantly behind the scenes, working away and working away to provide sustenance for the family. There's people who are like kids' rooms, who are just a ball of fun, have wonder in them. And there's some people who are even like just the, just the den. They're working away, they're studying away, they're paying the bills, and they're working tirelessly to make things work. But we talked about today, we're not going to be talking about any of those rooms. Today I want to talk to you about the utility rooms. How many of you guys have a utility room? Maybe you have a, uh, an office slash craft slash gym space. You know what I'm talking about? It's an office space, but there's a treadmill that hasn't been touched since, you know, 78. You know, maybe in the closet you've got a thigh master. And now it's just really worth nothing except just like, hey, I got one of those things, you know. Maybe you have a, it's like a, it's a garage or maybe you have a, a junk drawer. You know what I'm talking How many of you guys have a junk drawer? I have a lot of them. Or maybe, maybe you've gotten so far, you don't just have a junk drawer, you have a storage closet. How many of you guys have a storage closet? And you're like, it's for storage. It's like, yeah, there's some Christmas stuff, some coats, some records that your wife keeps hiding away and you keep throwing out and picking them out of the garbage. Maybe there's some memorabilia and a leg lamp. Who knows? You know, you're just really into that. And, and it becomes this clutter space. We have a storage closet. That's where our coats go and where the extra socks and things and toys on the floor go. When we have guests over, we just throw it in the storage closet for temporary storage. Here working at a church and you guys that help around the scenes, we have a lot of storage closets here at the church filled with lots of youth memorabilia and things of the past. But today I want to talk about the storage closets. Because a lot of that, maybe it's your attic, your garage, storage spaces, storage rooms. But all the stuff that makes those things that and filled with clutter, it's all the things that we quit on. Whether it's filled with Christmas decorations that we bring out once a year and then we quit on and put away. Maybe it's filled with 
board games and old high school memorabilia that we just said, you know, it's time to hang it up there, Jerry. <laughs> you know, And we just store it away and we've kind of quit on it. You know, I clean up my garage and I look at all these old things I found. I'm like, man, why did I ever stop using this or wearing this? And then my wife shows me pictures and reminds me that's why. And I go, oh, okay. But there's so many things that we quit on. Whether you've trained and you have achieved at one point or another, we've all quit. Whether it's a job or something else, a friendship, maybe you just quit on yourself. I love quitters. They're my favorite because I think they're the most human. They, they don't hold on to the, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe idea of like, if we just keep going like Captain America, things are going to work out. The other people go, hey, if he's going to snap his fingers, he's going to snap his fingers. I'm just going to leave, you know? I love quitters. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is from Sir Winston Churchill when it comes about quitting. He talks about quitting smoking, and they ask him, why don't you quit smoking? He says, because quitting smoking is easy. I've done it many times before, and I think that's really funny. But I want to talk to the quitters because I'm a quitter at heart. I'm that kind of person that when things just don't go my way, I say, you know what, maybe I don't belong here. But I want to speak in a, into your guys' lives that are quitters and share what I've learned and what God has been showing me. But before we do that, can we give credit where credit's due? Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, we lift you high. God, we thank you that you are good even when we quit. Thank you, God, for being a God who's sovereign and never quits and is always coming after us, who's never letting us down, but rather constantly picking us up when we've let ourselves down. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you do a work. I pray, God, that you start to speak into the lives of people and that we start to make room for you. This point of the series, God, that we've done is is for you to do a work and to show the idea in this Christmas season that no, no matter how cluttered or empty or warm or cold the room is, that your son could have been born in the inn with all, of, with all the animals in the lowliest of places. So you have a chance to give hope and to be born into our lives and to give us a rebirth. So God, we ask that. We ask these things in your blessed and holy name. And all of Wake Church said, Amen. Amen. All right. So my question I have for you guys is for our quitters, why do we quit? Now, I like a little engagement here because I feel awkward being the one guy talking to you all the time. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to come up with some reasons why somebody would quit something. Why would somebody quit something? Tell your neighbor, why would somebody quit something? Anything. (laughs) If you don't mind sharing with the class here, We'll get a show of hands. Some reasons why somebody might quit. Anyone want to care to share? It's too hard. I like that. What else? You get hurt too many times. Wow. That was a deep one, kid. Jeez. Go ahead in the back there. It's too hard. What else? What are the reasons you might quit? I'm too old. I'm too tired. Just get it up here. Give it up here. What do we hear? I heard someone over here. I'm not good enough. What else? You won't win. What else? Say it one more time. Fear? Out of fear? Anybody else? It's easier to not do something than to do it. That's a pretty great one. 
That's a pretty, I, I, the older I get, the one thing I've learned now is I used to think when I was really young, like, why would anyone want to retire and just do nothing? And now I'm 20 years old and go, I can't wait to do nothing. <laughs> Every morning I'm, I'm woken up at 6.45 to some little, little thing next to me saying, dad, 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 dad. I'm like, just say mom, dude. Just say mom. <laughs> She's mad about it. I'm getting tired of it. Let's just help each other out here, dude. And he just looks at me and then laughs and says, dad, dad, dad. And I go, I can't wait till I do nothing. How much, how, how long till you're 18? Jeez, let's just go. Like, then he smiles at me and I'm like, okay, all right, here we go. Here's some reasons that you might quit. I'm, I'm a person that believes in, in, in something powerful, that something a part of Jesus's ministry that I thought was so powerful is that Jesus, when he encountered people, he always, he always interacted with them in different ways with different approaches, but his way of tending to them was always kind of the same, and it was through two things. And I always believe when it comes to conflict, when it comes to growth, that with these two things, you really can't go wrong. The first is accountability, and we don't really like that word. Now, in church world, we say accountability is that we share a little bit in our prayer circle, and then we go home and just forget about it. But real accountability, being open, honest, and transparent, about the struggles, about the shortcomings, and the reason you might want to quit. And the other thing is affirmation. With enough accountability and affirmation, man, you could really do a number in somebody's life when it comes to growth. And Jesus did a phenomenal job of affirming people, but also holding them accountable. They couldn't lie to the Son of God. So he knew. But he also didn't hold everything against them, affirmed them in the things they were doing right. But what's the other side of that coin that would maybe want to make you quit? Rejection, persecution, and judgment. Just simmer on those words. For some of you guys, you see those words and you go, I'm right back in high school. Oh, no. For some of you guys, you think of a toxic situation you were in. Maybe you think of, you're just, maybe you just think about your Christmas dinner that just happened with your family. Who knows? But at one point or another... We will have to or have faced these things. Rejection, persecution, and judgment. So the question is, how did you respond to it? When faced with rejection, when faced with persecution, when faced with judgment, how did you respond to it? Because the way that we respond to these things determines what room we make. If we choose to quit, those things don't go away. One of my favorite sayings that I have from a good friend of mine named Pete is whenever I want to quit something or I've ever wanted to quit a job or I've ever wanted to walk out on a friendship or something like that, he, he tells me, you can go ahead and do it, Joe, but wherever you go, there you'll be. And that always resonated me so deep. Wherever you go, there you'll be. And the first time I heard that, I remember thinking, yeah, that's kind of how it works, Pete. If I go there, there's, that's where I go. And he goes, no, wherever you go, there you'll be. The problems aren't with people. You're attracting these people, Joseph. You're quitting. So the rejection, the persecution, the judgment, it stays. They just get a different face and a different name. It's up to you to stick it out and respond to it. Otherwise, it fills up room, and then you start to wonder, why do I have no movement of the Holy Spirit? Why do I not feel the closest of God? Well, where's their room? 
Is it filled with the rejection of a past thing? Is it filled with the judgments of what family or friends are going to think? Is it, is it filled with persecution that you're afraid you're going to take on? Rejection, persecution, and judgment. Oddly enough, this is something that not only that we've all faced, but we've unintentionally dished out. Whenever we feel that we're about to be persecuted, when we feel that we're about to be rejected, we're quick to reject others and to judge others and to persecute others. We've done it since we were little kids. Whenever we get in trouble with something, we immediately go, well, so-and-so did this. I remember trying that with my mom, where I, where I would say, you know, why am I getting in trouble with my friend's mom lets him do that? And then she uttered the phrases that scared the heck out of me. I'm not your friend. I'm your mom. And I was so terrified in that moment. I saw God and all of the fear that comes with it. And I remember telling my friends that, like, dude, your mom didn't let you do that? She's not my friend. They're like, I didn't say she was. Just don't let her hear that, okay? She might be watching. We're at school. I know. I know. <clears throat> Oddly enough, these three words, I thought that was interesting. I Googled these words. And did you know that there was a, a, a survey taken by, by Lifeway, uh, Lifeway Ministries. It's a statistics ministry read by Ed Stetzer. Really awesome guy. And these were the top three words that non-believers associate with the church. Rejection, persecution, and judgment. And that kind of hurts real hard. Because that, that really hits real hard to the heart because we're, we're supposed to be representations of God's love. We're supposed to be the representations of his glory. But because we're also still human, we also still face this, we kind of hide behind the goodness of God and sometimes unintentionally push out rejection and judgment and persecution. So the question still stands, how come it, it still feels like there's times that we can never reach the peak. You know, that, you know how the song goes, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low. And I always wanted, you know, looking around us, I love living in this area. My favorite part about living in this valley is when we wake up in the morning, if you look to your left, you look to your right, you look in front of you, look behind you, there's just mountains everywhere. And I love, especially this time, you're just seeing the snow. I like it the most because I don't like the cold. I like seeing it. It's beautiful. Just nice to know, there it is. That's nice. It's kind of like my son kind of does the same thing while he sleeps. Whenever I'll be laying down, he'll be fussy. But the second he feels my beard, he's like, there he is. I can go to sleep now. And the same thing, I love that, that kind of look of the cold. I like knowing that the mountaintop's there and knowing that it's achievable. But there's some times where it feels like, man, we're never going to get to the top of the mountain. For a lot of us, we've been saying, I've never even, it feels like I've never even seen the mountain. I forgot what it even looks like. I have a question for you guys. Where are all my hikers at? Any hikers here? Outdoor backpack people? Amazing. Not a lot of you guys. How many non-hikers are there? Like, just absolutely no. Thank you. Thank you. Last week, one of my good friends, Pierce, the place of the worship team, he was talking about it. He goes, hey, man, what are you doing this, this weekend? I said, uh, I don't know why. And he's like, oh, we're going on a hike. And I just stared at him blankly. Just like, okay, thanks for telling me. And he's like, do you want to go? And I stared even deeply. I looked at him, I looked at myself, I looked at him, I looked at myself up and down, and I said, really? Now, this may shock you guys here, and, you know, I don't want to just take everyone off guard and hold on to your seat, and I know you're thinking, 
look at your physique. I'm not a hiker. Don't let these boots fool you. They were a Christmas gift. These boots were not meant for walking. They're meant for standing. Some light sitting. Maybe, maybe if my wife makes me feel bad enough, I'll walk to the mailbox. All right? But I am not a hiker. And then he's like, oh, come on, man, you're a hiker. And I looked at him and said, man, you must have greater mustard seed faith because I don't know how a mountain's going to scale a mountain, dude. That's just not happening. All righty, but good for you for believing it. I, I appreciate that. But why can we not reach these peaks? They seem so obtainable. Why do others have all the room for other people, for Jesus, for these experiences? Why do people seem like they could just scale the mountain so easy? Why are there some people that say, I'm just going to hike up this mountain this weekend and have all the drive and all the motivation, and yet we get here stuck in our faith, and we say, I quit. Because I feel like I just keep walking and walking, and it just keeps getting uphill and uphill. My calves hurt. My back hurts. I'm done. And by the time we quit, we look up there, and we see there's so many other people, and it just came so easy, and we think, maybe this thing isn't for me. Why is it so easy for people to make room, but our lives and hearts seem so cluttered? The reason is because we have some remodeling to do. And I know we've put it off. How many times have you guys had that storage closet, that storage space, that storage room, the junk drawer, and you said to your your spouse or to your roommate or to yourself, I'm going to clean that thing today. I'm going to organize the closet today. Maybe it's not just that closet. Maybe it's a garage. Maybe it's that storage room. For me and my, my wife, the thing that becomes kind of our junk drawer area is just laundry. Laundry in general. And we have, we have to like talk about it and work ourselves up to it. We'd say like, this weekend's the laundry weekend. And I'm like, yes, it is. Let's prepare for battle. Let's get the shield. I'll get the, I'll get the, I'll get the, you know, the detergent. You get the fabric softener. One step at a time, babe. Let's just, let's not burn ourselves out too quick. And she's like, absolutely. Then that weekend goes, she's like, just so many things were happening. I don't know if we could have done it. And it takes us this work up to be like, we're going to attack this thing. And then eventually my mother-in-law and grandmother-in-law come over and help us out. And that's what happens. And sometimes people come over and help, but then it just comes right back to where we were. How do we start to remove these things? I want us to look at Paul in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 17. If you have your Bibles, open it there. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I know every pastor says that every time he gets up here and speaks, but truly it is. Every time I buy a new Bible, every time I gift somebody a Bible, it's the first passage I highlight. It's a passage that, you know, you hear so many times, and you almost forget that it almost exists, and then when you kind of come back to it and you read it, you go, man, I needed that. And this is something that this season I needed. And I hope that it's something that God speaks to you as well. But before we dive into it, (coughs) excuse me, I want to talk about where Paul was when he wrote this. I want to give a little context. Because I've learned context is key. I've only been married for five years, but I know when they they say nothing's wrong, whatever, that doesn't mean nothing's wrong. So having context kind of helps. But let's talk about this. Paul, for lack of a better terms, was hard-pressed. Now, I know some of you guys think, I don't know what that means. It's a new, young, slang term. Maybe some of you guys are already using it. Good for you. But hard-pressed, for lack of better terms, is 
he is just constantly getting barked at. He's constantly being ridiculed. It feels like he's being ganged up on. For lack of a better term, this has this idea that Paul is hunted. Paul was a wanted, hunted man because of what he was for Jesus. In fact, in Acts chapter 23 and verse 12, there's 40 men who conspire together. They do not eat and they do not drink until Paul is murdered. This is hard pressed. Paul knew what it was like to be hunted. When we talk about suffering, especially suffering like this today, it's easy to think that we're just talking about spiritual or emotional suffering. And although just as valid and just as painful, Paul is experiencing this very thing, but also the physical. Being hunted down physically, being on the move, finding nowhere to find home and to be rested in, but still having to push out and pour out the word for other people so that they can know the good news of Jesus. But nevertheless, we should remember that everything Paul said about suffering, he said as a man who probably suffered more than any person ever has. This wasn't a theory to Paul. He wasn't speaking about maybe when you come to suffer. He's talking straight in the pit. He's not talking about maybe when you pick up a home and you turn to flip it and there's going to be a house, here's what you do. He was living it. This was a man who had real life experience. And I want to read what he is writing and the power that comes with this when we all want to quit. It says this, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Wow. The light and momentary affliction. What powerful words. For being hunted, persecuted, rejected, and judged, he chooses the words light and momentary. Those are words that I would use to describe one of those rice cakes. <laughs> Not the sufferings of a man pressed by Jesus. Those are, the, those are the words that I'd use to describe kale when I'm hungry. It's a light and momentary affliction. Not how I would describe the pain and agony of walking with Jesus and constantly being rejected, not just by strangers, but by the people that I love and the people I grew up with calling me names and rejecting me. Light and momentary. <clears throat> this hard-pressed, persecuted, rejected, and judged man. And Paul says it's all light and momentary. The thing that makes us all quitters was momentary to Paul. Why? 
Because we think about that. It's crazy to me to think that Paul sees all the things, and you can insert yourself into that and think, I don't understand the mindset of where he's at. How does he think that way? Whether it's you, you're losing a loved one, maybe you have a, a family blow up, maybe you're, you're having some problems at work and you feel that you're just getting rejected, maybe you're having problems in your marriage, maybe you're having problems with friends, longtime friends, and you put yourself in that situation and you just can't seem to get your mindset to going, this situation that I'm in, it is a light and momentary affliction in comparison to the weight of glory that is waiting for me with God. And you could say it a bunch of times, like one of those self-help tapes that tell you, I am good enough, I am good enough, but it never quite sticks in here, and it definitely doesn't stick in here. What was Paul thinking? See, I believe there's two things that Paul has for us that we're missing. Feel free to write them down. The first thing is, He knew that the peak was always in sight. No matter how low and deep in the valley that Paul got, he always saw, not too far away, that's where I'm going. If you do not have vision, you don't have mission. If you don't have mission, you're not able to fulfill the mission that Jesus has left And if you can't fulfill that mission, you don't get to share in his victory, and then you wonder why you're empty and feel like you're losing. Jesus has done the work so that we don't have to be quitters, that we're winners. We just have to not quit. But that might be the first step if you're feeling, I don't understand this. Where are you going? The other day I had a pretty rough one. And I felt pretty bad. I just wasn't in my head, and there was just a lot going on in my house and in my life. And I was trying to, to get my newborn son ready to go to his grandmother's house so that I can go over there because my wife was working a graveyard shift, and I had to get him ready and get my stuff ready. And I couldn't find, of course, that one item that I'm looking for and I'm looking everywhere for. And I just stood in front of my closet, and I just, I just froze. And I got lost for a second and I felt bad because when we don't know where we're going, we get frustrated and then we start to hurt people because we start to feel like we're getting rejected by the world, maybe even blame God. My wife just asked, what are you doing? And I just yelled and said, can you just give me a minute? And she just walked away. And I realized in the moment, the last thing I wanted to be was alone. And that's what it might feel like when you lose sight of the peak. You're not alone in the valley. That's the beauty of the, of the bride of Christ, the church. These people that sit by you, that give you a little bit of a space in between each family, very courteous of them. These people aren't just spectators. They're your family. I tell you truly, I consider every single person here my family. I want you to be my family. And that should serve as a more powerful thing because you weren't born into my family. I chose you to be my family. Just as Jesus chose you to be part of his forever family. And if Jesus thought that I was worth it, definitely you're worth it. And if Jesus thinks you're worth it, then I think you're worth it. 
But if you're lost and you don't know where you're going, I can't help you. It's like I remember the first time I got lost in a, in a Walmart. I don't know if it was so much I was lost or that my mom left me. It's a theme with, our, with the women in my family. They have so many kids to wrangle up. They're just like, yeah, I got all the kids. Actually, that's just the jumbo size of Captain Crunch in a car seat. And you're like, oh, go back to Walmart, you know. I'm still waiting for that moment where my mom and my grandma said, wait till you have kids. I'm like, oh, no, it's going to come. But I remember the first time I was lost, it really dawned upon me where they asked me, what's your, in the moment of panic, they said, like, well, what's your mom's name? And I was like, mom, like, do you know where you live? Yeah, where? My house. They're like, well, do you know where it is? I don't know, but I know I got Batman stuff there that's waiting for me. I, I need that, dude. I don't know what to tell you. There's a lot of wrestling action figures in a bucket. If you know that house, that's mine. Or if it's not my house, I'll take that one. They probably got better toys than I do. But this, this helplessness, if that's you and your faith, you need to really look back and say, where am I going, God? And the choices you're making, you don't want to be just running in circles. Paul didn't. He knew where he was going. Excuse me. The next and last thing is that Paul knew that nothing grew at the top. You know, I was talking about my hikers. And I, again, I'm not a hiker. But like my best friend and my brother, Ozzy, who serves here on the worship team, he couldn't be today. He was moving. Or at least that's what he told me. He probably didn't want to hear me preach. He hears enough of me as it is. But he, me and him were talking. One of the things we do is we play in a band and we tour all the time and we're in, in a van with a bunch of sweaty guys for eight hours at a time. I know, I am 28 and a father. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. But we're in there. One of the best times of my life are in that van because me and have have these really deep talks about the character of God and what God's doing in our lives and then kind of asking ourselves philosophical questions, you know, typical rock star stuff, you know. And um, I was talking to him while I was reading my Bible in the back of the car, and, and he was in the front, the front seat here, and I was telling him, you know, I thought it was interesting that I was reading this miracle that Jesus does, and he tells us, his apostles to, to cross the sea, that he's going to go and pray, and he's going to meet them on the other side. And this storm hits, and Jesus sees it, and he walks in the water and comes to them, and they're afraid. And once he gets in the boat, everything calms, and when they get to the shore, immediately people recognize who Jesus is, and people are trying to get at him, and then when they touch the, the hems of his, of his garments, they're healed. They didn't know that there was another miracle waiting for them. They didn't know there was another mountaintop. But they were willing to get in the boat despite the storm, and no one quit and jumped overboard. And they never turned around. And I said, man, that's really powerful to me, especially with the season of life I was going in. And he said, you know, that's crazy. That reminds me of when I, was, I went hiking. And I went, here we go again. What's with all my friends, dude? This is not the year that I do this. But he said, no, I went hiking, and I, I, went, with, I went with a group, and I went with one of my great friends, he said. And he, he, had, he had told me that the, they got to this peak of this mountain, and he told the guy who led the hike, said, what do you guys see? What do you see? And about 10 or 11 guys were said, like, I could, see, I could see this river. I could almost see the beginning of this river. Look at these trees. I think I see some deer. 
look at that. Oh, I could see this. That's Merino Valley. I could see all the way from here and here. And they were pointing out things they could see. And he kept saying, what else do you see? What else do you see? And I thought it was beautiful because Ozzy said, I don't know. What do you see? And he was the first person to ask him, what do you see? And he says, the first thing I see is there's nothing up here. He goes, what do you mean? Look at this view. And he goes, yeah, but right where we're at, there's nothing up here. It's just rocks and a little snow. He goes, okay. He goes, I find peace up here because nothing grows up here. Everything grows in the valley. And he said, yeah, I guess. And he said, this makes me feel better to know that when I'm going through valleys, it's the only way I'm going to grow. If I live my life mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop, I'll never grow. I need all that the wilderness and the wildness that is the journey with God in that valley to grow. And Paul knew that. Now, I know what you're thinking. Is that just another worship slide background? No, it's a... It's an actual picture, you know. But it really is true. You look at all this vegetation and all the, all the life in the valley. But at the peaks, they're, they're desolate. And it really, it really makes a crazy picture. You see, there's two beautiful things about the peak. The thing is, everyone's peak has its own beautiful and unique view. For each of us, the journey is different. Our relationship with God is different. For some of us, he's been a loving father. For a lot of us, he's been the great healer. And each of us in our journey have different peaks to look out and see what God is doing and where we've come from. But the crazy thing about that view is you can only see so far what's in front of you your worldview, and see how much God has done in your life, which makes it so much more beautiful when you journey with other people. Because then once you've reached your peak and you start to journey with other people, when they reach theirs, you get to see where your view cut off and theirs began and see that God is the God of both those views. And he's the view of the next person and the next person. Then you start to realize, you know, there's a lot more going on in this God's story. There's a lot more to keep pushing on for. There's a lot more reasons to not quit. And I love that. I think that's the thing that's been called in my heart the most. I'm not saying that I've reached my peak. But I've seen views of God and what he's done in my life. I definitely could look back and see from the heights that I've been why God allowed things to happen how God brought me through these things and think, it's beautiful. But the more that I journey with other people every day, the more I start to see more of the picture and the more I start to see God, you are a God that is more beautiful than I could even imagine. You're a God that's making beautiful things out of, out of things that I just thought were just, just wild and didn't need to exist. But really the thing is when you feel like you're stuck in a valley, to remember that nothing grows at the peaks, that everything grows in the valley, can you see where God needs you to make room for growth? 
I think that's the hardest part about following Jesus. Is once we see what he's done and the miraculous transformative power of a relationship with Jesus, it's easy to believe that he is the God he says he is. But it grows harder to believe that that God believes in you. And that's why we quit. We go, God, it's easy to believe you're perfect because I've seen what you've done in other people's lives. But it's hard to believe that you want to make me something beautiful. But it's true. Can you see where you need growth? And sometimes we keep coming to church and we keep doing these things and we think because things are good that we're good. But every day we need saving. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't need a savior. Amen? And so can you ask yourself whether this is a season that you feel filled with joy? Maybe it's a season that you feel that you really need some saving. Can you see where you need to make room for growth so that more of him can work through you? So that when you're tired and want to quit, he could be the strength to carry on. Because your quitting season, that's God's working season. When you feel like you want to give your two weeks in your faith, that's when God says, I have a promotion for you. Are you willing to analyze your life and see where you can make room? See, for me right now, I'm not preaching to you from a, from a peak of any sort. I'm genuinely preaching to you from a valley, a low, low, low valley. It feels like the trees are so high, I can't even see any peaks around me. Maybe that's you today. Maybe it's been you. But I understand that there's a time You see, for me, I had a view of my peak, and I think that's one of the other reasons we always struggle. (coughs) Excuse me. I always dreamed that my peak would be me up there with with my family, all of them, with my wife, my children, and we would just live forever and be happy. And then we grow up and we realize, okay, some of those things have some depth to them, but there was always this view in my mind. I remember talking to my wife. One of the things I used to dream about was I can't wait for my son to grow up and to be a part of his family, to be a light to my mom, and that my grandma could see, uh, see the man he becomes, just like she saw me be that man. And Sometimes you're in the valley and things go not as planned. Sometimes it's hard for me to be in the valley trying to walk up and realizing the person that once had so much life in them and lived so much for Jesus and like Jesus that it directly impacted me to live for Jesus, to then just take my son and watch life slip away from her. It's hard not to be selfish in the valleys and want to quit what you're doing and say, God, you're not going to fix this and I don't want to keep going. 
And it's easy to start to get selfish and start to tell someone, you can't quit because I need you. It's hard. That's the hardest part about this talk, is it's not easy. You see, for me, I understand, though, that in this season, although I want to quit so bad, so bad, I want to quit because the living room in my life is slowly losing their life. But I understand that it's God calling me to be the living room for my family. That in the valley I will grow to be that thing. To be a living room for my family, for my wife, for my friends, for my coworkers, for my son. But without the valley, the light and momentary affliction would crush me. It continually crushes me every day. But when I realize I'm in the valley so that I could grow above the treetops and see the peak, the highest peak, and be reminded that the next peak I go to, I'll be able to see not just what God has done, but the next highest point, and realize that this isn't my final peak. Even the next peak might not be my final peak, but the final peak, the weight of glory. Everything I dreamed is there. She will be there. My family will be there. My wife, my friends, my son. But most importantly, Jesus. As we close today, I don't have any special illustration or things to give out. I just, I want us to sing as a reminder. I want you to sing not from the peak of what God's done in this decade, but I want you to sing from all the valleys in which God has brought you through and declare what we had just said and believe it and not quit on it. That God, you're never, going to let me down as long as I know where the, the peak is and I know that there's growth in the valley I'm going to be okay this light and momentary affliction will pass because the peak that I see now as Paul said is transient but the peak I've yet to see is an eternal one and I know you'll never let me down because God is good. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray that you keep making room in my heart for you. I pray that you keep giving growth in my heart so that I could try to be who it is you've called me to be, not what other people have but who you need me to be, God, because I know ultimately who you need me to be will always serve the higher purpose and will always be greater than any peak that I can reach by my own hands. And so I pray that prayer not just for myself, but for every person in this room.
that they trust by your hands, God, who you called them to be is better than what they think they have to be. Who you've called them to be is better than what other people tell them to be. Who you've called them to be is higher than anything they could ever reach on their own. And we thank you that you are good and we'll see it through and that you don't quit on us, the quitters. Help us to make room more in our lives. God, I pray that any person that needs more of you, God, will seek prayer after in our prayer area. And those people here who feel like they've been wandering for a long time and they have no guide and they've never really reached out to you, Jesus, there's no better time than now. And we would love to pray with you. Speak to them, God, now. And open their hearts know that they don't have to go through the valley alone. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for the valley. We're grateful for your love and affirmation and that you are a good, sovereign God. We ask this in your name.